Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode number 149. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so I am trying something a little different for a while to see how it goes. As you guys may know, over on Instagram, I regularly do Instagram lives on a Friday afternoon as often as I can. So usually about three times a month. What I have noticed is... Not everyone who is following me on Instagram also listens to my podcast or who is on my podcast follows me, listens to my podcast, follows me on Instagram. So I feel like there's quite a lot of good information that we cover in those lives and I get a lot of really wonderful questions. And so if you don't have Instagram and you don't follow me on there, I don't want you to miss out on that information. So what I'm going to be doing is for the next couple of weeks at least, is releasing two podcast episodes a week. So one will be my normal podcast that I put out um, as usual, and another will be a recording of my Instagram lives. So I'm just going to see how that goes for a couple of weeks and see whether you guys listen, whether you like them. Um, I am more than happy to have your feedback. So feel free to email me or direct message me um, on social media. And the second thing that I wanted to say is we have reached over 200,000 downloads of the podcast to date. Um, Last time I looked, it was about 210,000. So thank you so much for listening and for spreading awareness and sharing this with your friends and family. Um, The more that we can share this podcast, the more I hope people will get help and we'll be able to live well with endo. So thank you so much for supporting the show so far. And as a thank you and a way to celebrate, I want to try something that I haven't done before, but I see is done on other podcasts and I'm really curious about it. So basically answering listeners 
questions like a talk show. So um, I just want to experiment with it this time round as a little bit of a, almost like a, a giveaway. Um, so I'm asking you to submit your question as a voicemail. So just record a voicemail, like a voice note on your phone. Um, if you have an iPhone, you can go to, I think it's a voice memos. I'm just having a look at my phone at the moment. Yeah, voice memos on the iPhone, but just check your phone. There will be some kind of recording option. Just record me a message and email it to me at hello at this endo life. I will be picking one question to answer and I will answer it on the show. I may even answer it with you live. So I'm I'm going to talk to my lawyer about that and how I can legally do that and protect myself as a health coach. But either way, I will be answering one of your questions. So send me in a voice note question and I will be picking an answer in the next month. So have a listen out for that. Um, I will be, of course, in touch with you if you are the chosen one. Um, that sounds like a Harry Potter reference, which let's make it a Harry Potter reference because I love it. So yeah, if that goes well and you guys like it, then I will keep that up too. Those are my announcements. Today's episode is the Instagram live episode. Um, I am currently, when you're hearing this, I'm going to be traveling on ferries, on flights, going to Greece. Um, so, and I'm currently packing. So the normal episode will be out later this week on Thursday. So today's episode is a live and thrive. And this is all about the connection between endometriosis and SIBO and how the hell do we manage them both together? So lots of really great questions came in for this uh, Q&A. So if you have any type of GI distress, like gastro distress, um, acid reflux, abdominal pain, constipation, loose stools, hard stools, um, nausea, acid reflux, I might have said that, gas, burping, any of those, this is worth a listen. So I hope you find it really enjoyable. I'm looking forward to getting your questions come through. And I hope you like this new format of two episodes a week. So yeah, SIBO stands for um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And it's been found in the research we have so far. Now we don't have a huge amount of research, but so far in the research, it's been found in up to 80% of the endometriosis population in this kind of small study. Um, there has been another study that has shown um, the link between endo and SIBO, but um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, and the same study that found that 80% prevalence also showed that 100% of the participants in the um, in the study had um, deficient migrating motor complex. And what the migrating motor complex is, is a um, sort of wave-like motion that occurs in your small intestine um, that clears bacteria out of your intestine. And when that doesn't work, that's when we get SIBO. I mean, there are other risk factors for getting SIBO, but that's sort of like the the kind of one of the number one causes. Um, and so SIBO is where normal bacteria that should be in the large intestine in that happy gut microbiome that we should be having in the large intestine um, grows in the small intestine because for some reason it's not being cleared out. So that's what SIBO is. And the symptoms are... 
Um, bloating is like a signature symptom. You don't have to have all of these symptoms. You don't have to have bloating, um, but this is one of them. Um, nausea, acid reflux, constipation, diarrhea, loose stools, hard stools, stools that are difficult to pass, gas, burping, brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, um, depression. Those are some of the key um, symptoms. If you've just got the anxiety, the brain fog, the depression on its own, um, but you don't have any IBS issues, it's unlikely to be SIBO. Um, also achy joints, bladder pain as well. Um, so that's a very, very quick whistle-stop tour into SIBO. Um, and so I've got a couple of questions. Um, so as some of them are kind of similar, so I'm just going to kind of group them together. Um, so I'm going to start with, um, I am Sarah Grace and Maxine Macklin. Um, so Sarah said, oh my God, where do I start with healing this? And then Maxine said, can you heal SIBO naturally? And how do you ask a doctor for a test? So I'm going to group those together. So Maxine, yes, you can heal SIBO naturally if that's what you want to do. Um, there might be a couple of times where you need a pharmaceutical drug, but not in all cases. Um, and so what I'm going to do is give you guys an overview of the treatment options um, because Sarah, that's going to explain how you start healing it. It's quite an extensive um, protocol, but I'll give you like an overview. So um, the free treatments for SIBO are antibiotics, antimicrobials, or something called the elemental diet. It's not a diet, it's not a SIBO diet, it's a treatment. So it's different from when you hear people talking about a SIBO diet. So the antibiotics that you would be taking are, if you had high, so there are different types of SIBO categorized by the gases that they make, because when they eat our food, they ferment, and they give off gases. So the three types of SIBO you can have are hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. And it's possible to have all three at one time or one or two of them. Um, so for hydrogen, it's rifaximin. That's a that's the antibiotic you would take. For methane, you would need two, and that's um rifaximin and either metronidazole or neomycin. Um, there are other antibiotics you could take, but these are like the gold standard antibiotics. Um, hydrogen sulfide is a tricky one. We've only just started to be able to test it. And e even so that's only in America. So we don't have like um, treatments that we're really, really sure about at the moment. But one of the leading researchers, Dr. Mark Pimentel says that the rifaximin should work on it. Um, but that's not been the experience of everyone who's tried that. Um, for um, antimicrobials, your herbs for hydrogen are berberine, oregano and neem. These are the main ones. There are other ones. And you would take two of them together for four to six weeks. I don't really recommend actually going beyond five weeks because resistance tends to... Um, happen build up by that point and so you start relapsing um the treat by the way for the antibiotics it's two to three weeks um and so the um antimicrobials you would take two of them for for four to five weeks if you had methane it would be one of those so even neem oregano or berberine plus 
also um, Alison or, or um, Antrantil. And then for hydrogen sulfide, that is trickier. High dose oregano, so much higher doses than what we would use for hydrogen or uh, methane can work. Um, Uva ursi is a possible one. Silver hydrosol is a possible one, but we don't have great information yet on what's working. Personally, I found um, I've found high dose oregano really effective. I don't think silver hydrosol or Uva ursi did anything for me. Um, there are also actually two other antibiotics for um, hydrogen sulfide that an another doctor has been talking about recently, um, but they are crazy names, so I can't remember them. But if you need to know, you can always DM me. Um, and then the elemental diet, what well, the elemental diet is, is a 14 to 21 day, essentially it's a fast, essentially, where you're just drinking um, a powdered formula that all it is is vitamins, amino acids for protein and fat and um, carbohydrates are in the form of either glucose or dextrose, so simple carbohydrates. So it's all of your food, all of your nutrients in a pre-digested state. So when you eat food, say you eat a piece of bread, that's gonna break down into glucose. If you eat a piece of meat, that's gonna break down into amino acids. You know, so it's it's literally the simplest form um, so that we absorb it almost instantly and the SIBO can't, doesn't have time to eat it and it dies. So um, it's this liquid formula, so it's powder and you blend it with like ice and water. You also blend it with a little bit of MCT oil or um, olive oil, coconut oil, that's your fat piece. Um, so you would have that and you would have that as your meals. Um, you can't eat anything else, I'm afraid, <laughs> for 14 to 21 days. Um, so those are your three options. Now there's very specific ways that you do these treatments. So it is almost impossible, unless you're doing the elemental diet, for you to clear SIBO in one round. If you have gone to see a doctor and they've given you antibiotics or they've given you antimicrobials and they're like, yep, one round, you're done, and they refuse to test you, that is not a good sign. And I really, 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 really doubt that you've cleared your SIBO because on average, it takes at least three rounds to clear your SIBO. The reason being is when you get your test result for SIBO, your measurements of your SIBO are not gonna, they're not gonna be measuring the bacteria, they're gonna be measuring the amount of gas that the bacteria makes. So how this is measured is in parts per million. So say you had, you were positive for hydrogen and your hydrogen levels were 90 parts per million. Then what would happen is you would look at your gas level results and you would use those to help you work out how many treatment rounds you need because um, antibiotics reduce your gas levels by 30 parts per million on average per round. And then um, antimicrobials reduce by 30 parts per million per round. Elemental diet reduces by 70 parts per million per round up to 150 parts per million. So you might, you might be able to clear it in one round of the elemental diet, but unlikely that you're gonna clear it in one round with antibiotics or antimicrobials. So most of the time people need at least three rounds, 
but if it's methane, if it's hydrogen sulfide, it tends to be trickier to treat. So it might take more than that. Um, hydrogen, you might be able to do it with three rounds. You might not. It really depends how high. I see levels that are very, very high with my clients. Um, I've seen like literally like 250 parts per million, 170 parts per million. So I see very high levels. So and complicated cases, actually. I'm seeing very complicated cases of endometriosis and SIBO, where some um, SIBO doctors, they have really straightforward cases, but um, the clients I see tend to have multiple layers as to why they have SIBO. So it's, it becomes more difficult to get them into remission and get them to stay in remission. So, um, so you're going to need a couple of rounds and it's not like, oh, I'm just going to buy like this oregano and I'm going to take what's on the dope, on the label. You need very specific amounts of um, the antimicrobials and very specific amounts of the antibiotics. So you need to be really clear on what they are. I'm not going to give you guys the doses today because I really um, don't want you to listen to this to this live and treat from this live you need to be working with a practitioner or take a patient course or at the very least like listen to my podcast with dr allison Seebecker and get the correct like get the doses um and then consult your gp like i don't want anyone treating just from an instagram live because i can't give you even a fraction of all of the information in this ig live it usually takes me like four hour long sessions to take my clients through all of the protocol so um you really need to um go away and do more research but so you basically don't just go out and buy berberine or oregano and start taking it plus there are certain brands that are better than others and some brands contain ingredients that will actually worsen SIBO so you have to like you can't take like garlic capsules because that's actually going to feed your SIBO because of the FOS in the garlic what you actually need is that allicin extract so you need Alimax or Alimed so it's um you have to be very careful with what you're buying and who you're talking to because a lot what I've noticed and I'm not trying to say this to bad mouth other practitioners is what I'm noticing is I'm getting people come to me who have seen someone who knows about SIBO and they might have covered it very briefly, very, very briefly in their training, but they haven't specialised in SIBO. They haven't done a specialist course in SIBO and they have incorrectly treated that person and then they have relapsed or they've not cleared it they've been you know trying to clear it for a year um i just had a call with one of my membership um members last night and she sent me her whole protocol that she's been doing for a year and the SIBO hasn't shifted and I could see straight away why it hadn't shifted because it hadn't been treated properly at all so just kind of keep that in mind um and so those are your those are your treatment options you would be taking a two-week break between each round of treatment you can go back to back if you want um but if you are going back to back it's probably better to rotate through the different treatment options so that your body doesn't your the micro the bacteria doesn't get resistant to the treatment that you're choosing or at least swap around the type of herbs if you just if you only want to treat naturally Maxine and you're going for antimicrobials then make sure that every treatment round you're using different antimicrobials so um, that they're not getting resistant 
Um, so you take a two week treatment break and then at the end, when you get the all clear, you do something called the prevention of relapse. And that is because two thirds of SIBO patients are chronic. Um, so two thirds of patients will relapse between two months to a year. Um, and that is because there is an underlying cause that needs to be treated. Some of these underlying causes um, can't be treated, they can't be eradicated, they can be managed. So by managing the underlying root cause and by managing ongoing SIBO, you can live really well with like a small amount of SIBO or no SIBO and then it relapses a little bit every now and then. That's possible. Um, if you are you know, in the group who have a root cause that's treatable, then you treat that cause and then you treat the SIBO again and then you move into the um, the one third who aren't chronic, which is great. Um, so, right, so you go to this prevention of relapse to try and prolong the amount of time that you're in um, remission. And that is um, three to six months where you take something called a prokinetic at night and the prokinetic stimulates the migrating motor complex overnight and that's what um, clears the bacteria from the small intestine. Um, you would follow a SIBO diet. So that's a um, low carb diet. It could be a very restrictive one like the SIBO biphasic, which is what I'm doing at the moment, or a SIBO specific food guide, or it can be um, a less restrictive one like the low FODMAP or the paleo diet, just a low carb diet. There are a couple that um, we work with um, meal spacing. So the meal spacing would be at least a 12 hour fast overnight. Um, and this allows the migrating motor complex to do its job because it turns off when we eat for two hours. And if possible, if you can do it four hours between each meal. So if you ate, um, at, uh, eight o'clock in the morning, you could eat 10, 11, 12, one, you could eat at one. Uh, no, sorry. You could eat at 12 and we start nine. Um, I am doing the um, SIBO biphasic low histamine diet. So unfortunately the most restrictive one because of the histamine part. Um, I don't recommend doing it if you don't need to do it. It's not pleasant to do. Um, and where was I? So you do the meal spacing if you can do it, you're welcome. Um, and just wanna make sure I've said that right. Prokinetics, meal spacing, diet, those are your three main prevention strategies. You would also implement them between the treatment breaks. Um, you could just do a prokinetic during the treatment break, but if you find if you find that you are backsliding, so your symptoms are getting worse again, like you were you were progressing, you'd cleared some of the SIBO with that that treatment you just did, but then you felt it coming back, then that means you're backsliding, you're kind of the SIBO is growing again. Um, so if you feel that's happening for you, the prokinetic's not enough, add in the meal space and add in the diet. That's what happened to me in the beginning in my treatment breaks. I was just doing the prokinetic because I didn't want to start the diet yet because um, I knew that I was going to be treating for a long time and I didn't want to be on a restrictive diet for a very long time. Um, but then when I brought in the meal space in, I did better in those breaks. And then when I brought in the diet, I did better. So test it out, test out how you feel because everyone's different. I've got a very slow migrating motor complex. So that could be why, um, well, that is why. Um, and um, then you have supportive methods alongside that. So it would be um, digestive support to kill off the bacteria as it enters your gut. 
um vagus nerve stimulation that's the nerve that runs down the back down your spine and it branch like nerves branch off it and these nerves help to control your gut and your motility so um stimulating the vagus nerve healing the vagus nerve um working on the root cause working on any damage to your migrating motor complex if it's possible to work on that um stress relief because stress turns the migrating motor complex off and body work so visceral manipulation you guys have heard that heard me talk about that and that's really important for people with endometriosis because often adhesions have contributed to the reason why we have SIBO in the first place so visceral manipulation breaks down those adhesions it's like very hands I mean it's really intense um but it will help to clear those adhesions so um just want to make sure I've covered that body work stress relief digestive support um vagus nerve healing yeah that's it um, so that is a whistle-stop tour, super, super whistle-stop tour into treating SIBO. I really, really recommend that you work with someone or take a patient course or read a patient book if you're going to go down this route. Um, obviously, I'm treating myself because I'm trained. Um, what was it? Um, it's visceral manipulation. You can go to... Um, my podcast episode on adhesions and I've got the directory to find someone and you can also um, start yourself at home with our Vigo massage and I have an interview with Tara Gosh, um, Gosh, Tara Gosh um, on the podcast as well and you can get in contact with her and she'll teach you how to do it on yourself and then you just do it in the evenings and that will help with your migrating motor complex overnight. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Someone whose Instagram handle, I don't know how to pronounce, has asked, is it possible to eradicate SIBO if intestine endo is not treated by surgery first? That's a really, really tricky one. Um, oh, you're so welcome. Oh, bless you. I really hope that you're okay. I'm guessing you just had surgery. I'm wishing you like the speediest, speediest recovery. Um, so yeah, this is a tricky one. Because adhesions form in 50 to 100% of abdominal surgery. If it's laparoscopy surgery, it's like 50 to 100%. If it's um, actual like open surgery, I don't know what the word is for that, um, like it's, it's bigger than keyhole surgery, then that is 80 to 100% of adhesions will form. And then adhesions, what they do is they stick to different parts of the intestines or they don't even stick to the intestines. They just um, uh, pull everything in a certain direction and that affects the motility and that affects the way that the intestines are clearing through um, the bacteria. And so then we end up getting SIBO. So a lot of people um, are developing SIBO symptoms after their so after their surgery so 
having the surgery may make things worse, but there are ways around that. If you really, you know, if you lower inflammation post-surgery, because inflammation also creates adhesions as well. So if you lower inflammation before your surgery and during surgery um, and post-surgery, and as soon as those scars are healed, you start getting um, visceral manipulation, Arvigo massage to clear the scars, the scar tissue before it can really sink its teeth into um, your intestines, then that's gonna be helpful. I don't know the extent of the intestine endo. You know, if the intestine endo is some lesions on the surface, that might not be so problematic. If it's really extensive where it's like infiltrating the intestines or creating loops and kinks, then yes, that is going to, essentially you could, you might be able to clear the SIBO. Um, you likely will be able to clear the SIBO, but then you'll end up relapsing very quickly afterwards because you've got these kinks and these loops or these pockets in the intestines where bacteria can gather. So it really depends on the extent of the endo and how is it affecting your intestines? Does that make sense? If it was just surface, then I wouldn't worry as much. And I would say, look, let's go for some visceral manipulation. Let's um, clear the bacteria. So it clears the bacteria out of the intestines. Um, so um, what was I saying? Sorry, I <gasps> I'm, had such a busy week that I'm losing my trail of thought very very easily um yeah if it was less so like extensive and it was more like lesions on the surface i'd maybe like do some visceral manipulation work to stimulate the migrating motor complex make things sure things are moving properly um i'd bring in like prokinetics which i talked about a minute ago um i'd bring in some like gut healing support there, there, been, there are a number of things we can do. So I hope that helps. Um, it really depends on what situation that you're in. Um, and then, sorry, I'm talking really fast because I have so much to say about this. No, 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 don't worry. I think I went to say something else and then I said bacteria afterwards. So it probably sounded really weird. Um, I'm talking fast because there's just so much to say about this and I always go over an hour and these are only supposed to be like 15 minute Q&As but they never are, they're like an hour. Um, so, and I still have work to do so I just don't wanna um, be talking for ages because I could talk about this forever. Um, how can you tell the difference between severe pelvic IBS pain and pelvic endometriosis pain? This is another tricky one because it really depends on how the pain presents for you, um, for me, I don't have endometriosis pain um, really anymore. Um, you know, I might get a tiny little bit like of pain on a like, you know, one to two on the pain scale on my period. A lot of the time it, I don't get that pain. Um, if I, you know, if I get a bad if I have a bad period, for me, it's really only getting to like a level five, but that is like the last time that happened was in November. So um, maybe there was one in January actually because of the SIBO treatment I was doing at the time. I can't remember. But anyway, um, mine feels very, very specific. 
So because mine would happen on my period, I knew what that pain was. It was only, that pain only came on my period and it felt like period pains, but like ramped up by a thousand. So it was very, it was very recognizable pain. In contrast, I don't really get much abdominal pain with my SIBO. I get other symptoms with it, but if I do, and, and I did in the past get this abdominal pain, but if, because I mean, now I manage my SIBO well, I mean, I've just had the all clear. So obviously my SIBO is gone. I, I have SIFO still. So small intestine fungal overgrowth. So now I'm treating that. But um, when my SIBO was bad, I did get stomach cramps, but that felt like the type of cramping you got when you ha would have um, food poisoning or diarrhea or you ate something funny it felt higher it felt higher up like it felt in my stomach where in contrast like the endometriosis pain for me feels very low in my pelvis like it's sort of starting around where my ovaries are probably my hip bone downwards however um you know some people get bowel pain um with both conditions or pain on um pain on going to the toilet you know having a bowel movement so now and that's complicated as well because it doesn't really it doesn't necessarily mean there is endometriosis in your rectum it could be that you have pelvic floor dysfunction and in fact I would say it's likely that that is an issue anyway you have pelvic floor dysfunction and that's also causing um pain with having a bowel movement um but you know people can have what's called visceral sensitivity um, with SIBO where that like they're very very aware of like the feeling of like a stool moving through their intestines they're very very aware of like all of the processes that are going on in their gut they can feel like they, they can really feel like the food moving through they can really feel like bubbles going on and activity going on it, it feels very sensitive and it can be um it can feel painful it can hurt it can be painful to go to the toilet so um it's it's difficult to know the difference if you aren't if there isn't a pain that you are like i'm very sure this is from my endometriosis like if you i so i can really distinguish the difference between endometriosis pain and my interstitial cystitis pain it feels like my bladder is on fire right versus it feels like my uterus is going to fall out um so i don't know if you can kind of hone in and like write descriptions about what your pain is feeling like um that could be helpful so like track it track if there's a pattern to pain that um feels a certain way and is it more around ovulation is it more around um is it more around your period or certain times of your cycle you might be able to track that and start identifying the characteristics of that pain versus is it pain that's coming after you've eaten something um is it pain that's been accompanied by ibs type issues because you know a lot of the ibs issues that we have with endometriosis aren't directly from endometriosis they're from SIBO in a lot of cases because we know from the research that it's so prevalent within our community so I'm really trying to aware, um, raise awareness of this that you know your gut health issues aren't necessarily from the endometriosis yes research is showing that people with endometriosis tend to have 
some level gut dysbiosis. So you might have um, a gut microbiome that's not very happy. And that is um, part of having endometriosis, but it's not that endometriosis itself, right? Um, but, you know, the um, if you have endometriosis on your bowel, you have endometriosis around your intestines, of course, that makes sense. It will be contributing to your IBS. But for me, my... Um, endometriosis is not um it's superficial it's not deep infiltrating it's not on my bowel or my intestines so it is not the reason why i get ibs issues does that make sense to people like someone give me a thumbs up because it is really hard to distinguish the pain when i know some people just have general pelvic pain and abdominal pain um all the time do you know what something that could be actually quite helpful is um using symptomatic relief that um we use for ibs well for SIBO 70 percent 60 70 percent of ibs is SIBO by the way um some of the symptomatic relief that we use for ibs and SIBO if that helps to get rid of your pain then that's a little bit of an indicator that that's what it's from um so if you go to SIBOinfo.com and you go to I've got it open here you go to resources scroll down go to handouts and then um SIBO symptomatic relief suggestions that is the same that list in there is the same stuff that I use because that's my tutor who trained me so what's in there is the same symptomatic relief things that I use so you could and I think in there she I'm sure she will have one for pain. Yes, yeah, she does. Um, so you can try what's listed for pain and see if that helps because it's not painkillers. It's not the same thing. Um, so you could try that. Um, then the last question was, um, so I have endo. I believe I have IBS. However, no one talks about how to manage painful sex and how to manage when dealing with both so um i think your name is esmarie um so esmarie i'm really sad that you said no one um talks about how to do with it both because i have so many podcasts about managing painful sex and i did an instagram live on this so what i was going to say is rather than me not giving you like rushing through and not giving you all of the information because of time and just kind of giving you a whistle stop tour what I would suggest is scroll back in my Instagram feed and I have an IGTV on managing painful sex um and then I have root causes of painful sex um in my podcast and then I have um management tools for painful sex I also have a reel on like tools for painful sex and then I have a couple of interviews on for painful sex with pelvic floor physiotherapists with like experts in painful sex. So um, there's one with the founder, Emily Sawyer, I think of Owner, which is a painful sex tool. Um, there's one with the Yoni Empire. Um, there's one around like talking about painful sex with a relationships counsellor. Can't remember the name of that one, you, but you'll see it. I describe it in in the title um all of my interviews with pelvic floor physiotherapists i talk about sex um so 
have a listen to those because you're going to get a much more in-depth answer. Um, but, you know, essentially the way that you're managing the painful sex with both with both conditions is going to be the same. The only thing that I would say is with the IBS, you're going to be leaning more into lowering inflammation and healing the gut because if the if the gut is inflamed, then that's going to be spreading inflammation into the pelvic into the pelvic area. So that's going to be contri contributing to your painful sex. So it would be about healing the gut and managing whatever gut health issues you have there. So um, that's the only thing I would add into that. But everything else is going to be relevant. Millie, can you get tested for SIBO on the NHS or is it worth finding someone who specialises in SIBO? Um, yes, so it is worth finding someone who specialises in SIBO. Um, SIBO is where endometriosis was, was, was 10 years ago. Doctors don't believe in it. Um, doctors haven't heard of it. Doctors don't know what it is or if they do, they're misinformed on the treatment. I've had doctors give people the wrong antibiotics, the wrong length of time, the wrong um, dosage options. Um, and what's really interesting is that, so I my training um, with Dr. Alison Seebecker and Dr. Narada Jacobi, so Dr. Alison Seebecker is based in America and Dr. Narada Jacobi is based in Australia. Um, but they are leading SIBO doctors and Dr. Alison Seabrook is like one of the world's leading SIBO doctors. And her course is the most comprehensive SIBO course you can do in the world at present. So my training is based on that. And so I know how to interpret a test. And I had a client go and take her test to a gastroenterologist and they were like, no, you're negative. Her levels were something like 120 parts per million. And I was just like, I looked at every way that I could look at this. And I was like, I don't know how this, how they call this negative. You are so, so positive in my eyes. Um, and then um, I, she came back to me literally yesterday because she relapsed. And the, firstly, she, so she showed me what the NHS had done. So they tested her and Firstly, they only tested for hydrogen and I have no idea why because it's really, really clear that she is a methane patient and she was diagnosed with methane before. So I, I just don't know why they wouldn't do that. So for a start, it might be difficult to get them to test for both hydrogen and methane. And then secondly, I was able to see why they said that she was negative before because their criteria is really, really different from the kind of... Um, there's a North American consensus and that's like, as far as I'm aware, it's the leading kind of guidelines for SIBO and it's what I was trained in. Um, and then Dr. Alison Seebecker actually has a slightly different criteria than the North American consensus because she's seen thousands and thousands and thousands of patients and she is very, very sure um, in her interpretation and actually she's kind of campaigning to get the North American consensus changed. So for hydrogen, the North American consensus says by 90 minutes, if you've reached, if you've had a rise in hydrogen of 20 parts per million in 90 minutes, then that is a positive. Dr. Seebecker says 120 minutes you don't have to have a rise, you just have to get above 20 parts per million. And when I say a rise, what that means is, say your baseline, your baseline gas reading was two, 
then to the national consensus, you would need to um, get to 22 because you need to rise from the baseline. Um, Millie, is this making sense? So where Dr. Seebecker, she doesn't need the rise. You could be at a two as long as you get past the 20 parts per million by 120 minutes. And the reason why she goes to 120 minutes is because a lot of people with SIBO have slow motility. So the solution that we drink, the sugary solution we drink that feeds the SIBO and creates the gas um, can actually take longer to get through the small intestine. So if we cut the test off by um, 90 minutes, that person might have been positive at 120 minutes but um, we don't know because we cut it off. So I go by Dr. C. Becker's read and I go by 120 and I see that really, really um, clearly with my clients. And in fact, my, my lactulose solution doesn't get through my intestines until my small intestines to 140 minutes. So imagine if I didn't use, um, if I didn't use Dr. C. Becker's criteria. In contrast, the NHS, I was able to see on this um, test result from the NHS for my client, they use 60 minutes. So they expect the solution to be through the small intestine in 60 minutes. In people who have IBS issues and who the reason why they likely have SIBO is because they have slowed gut motility, I can't fathom. I know the NHS do a brilliant job. I know we get it for free. I know there are doctors who are wonderful, but I've not yet seen, in my experience, an NHS doctor who I, who has understood SIBO or has used what I believe is the correct criteria. Um, I don't understand why the NHS are using this 60 minute. I really, really can't. I can't believe that people are getting this test. And, and they told my client that she was negative. And they were like, oh, we don't know what's up with you. It's negative. We've tried all of the other tests. And like, she is so constipated, she's so bloated, she's in pain. She has all of these awful symptoms. And so I'm just like, all of these people are out there thinking they don't have SIBO. So at this stage in time, I don't advise going to the NHS, um, I'm afraid. There are some private doctors who might also do stuff on the NHS. Um, there are some SIBO clinics in London and gastroenterite. Um, gastroenterologists um who are you know they maybe they do some nhs work but i haven't come across any nhs doctors who really are familiar with this i don't want to badmouth them it's just it's just the way it is at the moment and i'm shocked about the 60 parts per million i, I just don't understand it so i would say it's better to go private or do you, you can order your test yourself pay for it online you can order it i've um, I have links to where you can order it from. If people work through me, then I order it for them. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I don't know if you're gonna get the help you need on the NHS, I'm afraid. Um, I've seen that cause more problems and forced, you know, um, missing diagnoses and um, bad treatment. So yeah, sad to say. So um, I hope that's helpful, everyone. Um, and yeah, I'm going to wrap up because I have to finish my um, other bits and pieces for the week. Um, but I really hope it's helpful. I love talking about SIBO. So feel free to send more questions. Um, and I hope you guys find the SIBO information useful because when I started talking about it, I was last year, I was apprehensive because I was like, 
I thought people might wonder why I talk about SIBO so much when I'm an endo coach, but it's because it affects us so much. So yeah, I hope it was helpful. Um, you're welcome. Um, I really, really hope, Eleven, that you feel, feel better soon and you have a really, really speedy recovery. I'm going to be thinking about you. Let us know how you get on. Okay, bye everyone. Have a lovely, lovely weekend and yeah, stay safe and well. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 